0: came to him and bandied up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him. And whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Now, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands. And he said, well, the one who showed mercy toward him. Jesus said to him, go and do the same. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and put him to the test. Many people think that's a bad notion. Let me ask you this question. When is the last time you put Christ to the test? Now, there's a certain way to do this that is totally correct and what we need to do. Now, there are, there are ways of doing it. There are people who test God, who test them for their own emotions. God, you've got to do this for me. I've prayed this. You've got to do it or I'm going to lose my faith in you. That's not the kind of test you can test God with. God will just say, go ahead and lose your faith. You know, if that's the game you're going to play, you're, you're barking up the wrong tree, buddy, because that kind of faith is not an accurate faith. That's not my character. But on the other hand, there are too few of us who have ever approached Christ seriously and said, I want to put you to the test. I want to see if there's anything different about Christianity than there is anything else. And I'm coming to you seriously, and I'm going to put you to the test. In other words, I'm going to bank on you to edify me, to instruct me, and I'm going to take you seriously. When's the last time you did that with Christ? People make out this lawyer to be a horrible kind of person. I don't think he was. I think it was somebody who was honest enough to say, does God really mean what he says in Scripture? I'm going to put him to the test. That's not a bad thing at all. That's what God invites us to do. And Jesus did not recoil from that. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, and this is the traditional Rabbinic response. When a person approached a rabbi for teaching, this is what the the rabbi always said. What is written in the law and how does it read to you? There are two questions there. What is written in the law and how does it read to you? When is the last time you went to Jesus for advice? Okay, say so you, so you're going to do that. You're going to put God to the test. You're going to say, okay, God, I want to know what to do about this certain problem. What would you think if he looked at you and said, what does it say in the Bible? Oh, well, I never thought of looking there. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe we ought to think of looking there. That's the traditional rabbinic response. What does it say to the Bible, and what does it say to you? How in the world can God answer our prayers if we don't read the book? How in the world can he do that? What's he got to work with? What's he going to bring to mind? Do you have such a wonderful relationship with God that you can just go to him on anything and without edification of scripture just get the right impression of what he's telling you? What's he got to work with? What does it say? What is written? And how does it read to you? Jesus says the same thing to us. If you want my answers, look in the book. And then we'll talk about it. Okay. And he answered and said, now this guy shoots right back into him. What is written and how does it apply to you? And the guy has catechismed out. He knows the correct answer right from his very childhood. You know why? Because this passage, you shall love the Lord with all your strength and mind and so on, so on and so forth, is... Deuteronomy 6.5, it is written on what these call phylacteries. And a phylactery is a little scroll written and, and attached to clothing. This lawyer had a phylactery with this written on it, on his headpiece, and it bounced against his head all day long. He had it on his sleeve so that whenever he reached out, it was there. He had it on his doorpost so that he could not go in his house or out of his house. Without brushing against that scripture. He had the right answer, and the right answer stayed with him all day long. And what Jesus is saying to him is, you've got the answer. Now go and do the answer. How many of us plead ignorance when we don't, we don't have ignorance? And we don't have anything approaching ignorance. We know perfectly well what we're supposed to do. We just don't do it. So when we go to Christ, he says, tell me, we tell him, he says, well, do it. And you'll live. Well, then we start squirming around. Then we want more specifics. Well, that's awful broad, say. Who is my neighbor? The Bible says he wishing to justify himself. Now, let's let's not count this guy too hard. I like this guy. This guy's taking Jesus seriously. That's not counting too hard. He's just getting kind of swiggly there and asking for broader definitions. How many of you have ever said, if God would just write it down, just write it on the wall, the handwriting on the wall, if he just write it on the wall, I'd do it. No kidding. I just don't know what to do. If he'd just tell me what to do. You know, except for very few instances, he's not going to do that for you. You know why? Because as soon as he tells you what to do, you're going to confine all of your energy to that and none of your energy to searching outside that circle. As soon as you draw a circle with people inside, you'll know who to love, but you will also have excluded people, won't you? And you will ignore things you could have done, but you will not, because he didn't He didn't get specific with you. Or he got too specific with you. That's exactly what this lawyer was doing. He said, make me a list. I'll love them. Tell me who my neighbors are. I'll go to them and you'll... He wouldn't do that. Because God cares about the people outside the circle as much as he cares about people inside the circle. And he will not draw a circle for us that will exclude people and will exclude the possibilities he has for us. God's not going to get specific with you because... He wants you to know that in every given incident, there is a chance for love. Let's go on with this. Jesus replied. Now, he says, he says draw, me, draw me a circle with the people in it. This is Jesus' reply. Listen to this. Jesus replied, a certain man was going down. That's the first word. Right away, who is my neighbor? A man. Jesus could have said a woman. Been the same thing. Notice, no labels. No labels here. It doesn't tell us whether he's a Jew or a Gentile, rich or poor, educated or uneducated. Who is my neighbor? A man. Who am I to love? A man, a woman, whoever. certain man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now let me describe this trip to you. Jericho is about 3,600 feet below Jerusalem. Sea level, we're talking. And a little over 20 miles. To draw a graphic picture for you, you could start at the edge of Jerusalem, get in your car, never turn on the engine, and go to Jericho. True. You could just go to if you could keep on that narrow winding road, you would never have to use it. That's how slow. And some points, some points are just straight down. We're talking straight down, and the road is dangerous. It has a bad reputation. Has a bad reputation to these to this day. But back then, it was very dangerous. You know why? because there were little cubby holes little caves that people could hide out in and then they could spring out at you unexpectedly there were very sharp turns that were that unless you had been on that road many times you didn't expect there were places where you could just fall off by accident and get the big ouch there were rocks there were rocks that jutted out to be in your way that road was kind of like life it was just as dangerous as life is. All of us are on that road. And here's this guy traveling the road and traveling it alone. You know, one of the things that, that really, as I think about this scripture, and I've only had 24 hours to think on it, but as I think about this scripture, one of the things that just stands out to me is how much we are like that guy, traveling alone down that road. We know the road's dangerous. We know there are certain places that we can we can thank you, air conditioning. We can fall off by accident. We know there are certain people that can come out and boo just get us. We know that there are certain people who have it in force who want what we we know that there are places that the sharp turns in life that we don't anticipate that are horrible, harmful things. We know that. And what do we insist on doing? Traveling alone. And then how mad do we get when we get hurt and there's nobody there to help us out? How many of us have decided we're not going to let anybody get close to us? And then when we're lonely or when we're hurt or some bad surprises come, we get mad at the world and say, how come nobody cares? It's exactly where this guy was. He chose to travel alone. He chose not to let anybody get near to him. And in a way, his suffering was self-inflicted. That does not mean that he does not deserve attention. It does mean that he predisposed himself to lonely suffering. And that means that that is a valid warning for us. If we choose a traveling companion, or one more than one, we will have someone there in those lonely moments. So, he fell among the robbers, and they stripped him, and they beat him, and went off leaving him half dead. And by chance, Jesus says, by chance, let's talk about that for a minute. If I could take a survey and ask how many believe in chance, and how many believe that there is no such thing as chance, we might have an interesting division here in the congregation. I won't do that, because a lot of you say, I don't know, I never thought of it. There is... There are people who say there is no such thing as accident or chance. That's not true. If there wasn't any such thing as accident or chance, Jesus wouldn't say, by chance. He actually said, by chance. Okay? There is such a thing as chance, accident. Thank you, choir, for responding. <laughs> but the Greek is so rich in this, in this instance it recognizes that even though accidents happen in this world, that there are threads woven within those incidents that are of a providential nature. That in every instance, the sovereignty of God has a hold of that situation. And there is nothing that we can go through without God already prevening a chance for closeness with him and special response. Is it God's will what happens to us? Many times it is not. Is it God's opportunity what happens to us every time it is? There is such a thing as chance. There is no such thing as only chance. By chance, a certain priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now, let's not hop on this priest and start jumping up and down and saying, jerk, sinner, hypocrite. Let's take a look at him for a minute. There are three alternatives that we can take for this priest. Number one, the priest might have looked at him and said, the guy is dead. If I touch him by law, I will be unclean and unable to perform my priestly functions for anywhere from 1 to 124 hours to 7 days depending on the function. Therefore, I can't really help the situation. I need to save myself for situations that I can help. Now that seems pretty reasonable, doesn't it? A priest isn't such a bad guy. That seems logical. And how many of us have the same kind of mentality when it comes to helping people. Boy, I do this so much, I'm so ashamed, I confess it before you. I say to myself, I can't help that person. I can't solve that person's problem. I need to go to people who I can help, and who are eagerly awaiting my help. I spend all my time with them because I can't do anything about that. You know how many times I've been wrong. The person really wasn't unhelpable. How many times I counted a situation dead that I avoided that I could have done something about? Maybe not solved it. There are very few problems in this world that you can ever solve for somebody. But you can help. Please, don't write off a situation because you don't think you can solve it or because you don't think you'll be of any significant help. That's what the priest did, and he was wrong. How many times can we be wrong? Second of all, the priest might have had a faith that was what I call for di- display purposes only. You know, have you ever been invited to somebody's house, and you, you go in, and they're, they're kind of having a get-together, and they've invited you, and you go up to wash, you know, go in to wash up for dinner and all that kind of stuff. You wash your hands, and you reach for the towels, And you go, ugh, I can't use those towels. Why? Because they've just bought them. They got turtles stapled on them or something like that. They're just real, they got the creases from the store in them, you know? And you're sitting there with dripping hands and you'd rather just go like this than use the towels. Because you know they're for display purposes only, don't you? You know of folks who much of their lives are lived for display purposes only. I used to know a guy, still know him. Everything in his house had plastic covers on it. You know, like you used to have on the car seats? Everything in his house. You'd go in and sit in a chair. You'd slide right out. It. it was the most uncomfortable thing in the world. I tried to picture this guy getting into bed, laying his head down a pulling and The pull head just keeps going like this. I thought if he ever got playful and jumped in bed, he'd be dead meat, boy. He'd go right out to the other side. <laughs> but everything had that plastic stuff. How? That's not comfortable. Why? It was for display purposes only. I knew a girl once who said she always knew when company was coming because they could never use the soap. You know why they couldn't use the soap? Because they would leave bubbles on the soap. And you don't have company and bubbles on the soap. This poor little girl went dirty all day long because there was for display purposes only. You see, maybe that priest had a faith that looked good but wasn't of much use. How many of us have a Christian faith for display purposes only? It looks good, but oh, you hate to use it. You know? It's just so nice when it's not used. It's so undisturbed. There's no, like, bubbles or anything. No wrinkles or no dirt. No nothing. But it looks so nice. Maybe the priest had a faith like that. Or maybe a third alternative for this priest was that... He was afraid that he was not the right person to help this other person. See, what, who they really needed was a doctor. They didn't need a priest, see. The, if the guy's alive at all, he needs a doctor. He doesn't need some guy going up like this and, and going on about his business. Anybody out there? How many of you, how many of me, are there out there who say, Oh, they need somebody to help them, but I'm not the right person. I'm not really qualified for that. See, they're young and I'm old and I don't speak their lingo. Or they're old and I'm young and, and I'm just a whippersnapper to them. They wouldn't take me seriously. They're black and I'm white. We live in two different worlds. I'm not the right person. They need a black person to help them. That's a woman and I'm a man and I really don't. I really don't understand. I mean, they're affected by hormones and I'm not. How many of us assume that we haven't got the stuff to help? And so we don't. We pass by on the other side. Do you know how readily somebody who is hurting accepts help from anybody? Have you been in a position in life where you would have accepted a kind word from Anybody? If your cat could talk, you would have accepted it. Anybody to a person in need is the right person. Please don't discount your opportunity to help because you don't think you've got the stuff. If you've got compassion, you've got the stuff. Okay, let me go on here. Likewise, a Levite also. Now, a Levite, a Levite was just kind of following. The priest wasn't going down alone. He had a Levite following him. And the Levite looks at the body, and I can just see it now. He's thinking to himself, which was true. They had a strategy in these old days. These brigands, these ruffians, these pirates would put one guy out there to lay like he was dying, and the rest of them would hide in the cave. And as soon as they, there was a decoy, it was bait. And as soon as they'd come over, all the other guys would hop on him and beat the stuffings out of him. So the Levite's coming along, he's thinking to himself, now there's a decoy. I'm not falling for that. So he passed by on the other side. How many of us assume that when somebody displays a problem, that's just the tip of the iceberg? And if we get involved here, folks, we're in for the duration. You know, it's like if you offer a kind word, they're going to call me, If I offer a kind of word, they're going to call me for three weeks. I mean, they're just going to start depending on me, and I just can't get that involved. I mean, i got a lot of other stuff to do. This is a decoy. They've got agenda. They're not showing me. And therefore, I'm going to stay away. Don't count on that. Maybe the problem they got is really the problem they got. And maybe they don't want to hook you into anything. Maybe... There is no trap. Maybe they just need help. And then a Samaritan. Oh, folks. A certain Samaritan. Let me tell you what's happening in the minds of the folks that are listening to this. This is really kind of cute. The traditional way of telling a story was to say a priest, a Levite, and an Israelite. Okay? You get the idea? So Jesus is talking about a priest, a Levite, and these guys are preened. I'm talking preened to be the heroes of this story. They're thinking, they're thinking to themselves, ah, he's coming up to the Israelites. The Israelites are really going to pay attention. So Jesus says, a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. And these people are saying, ah, what? A Samaritan, I said. He said, a Samaritan? Now, just to give you the effect, effect, of what this had on them, you think of somebody, it could be somebody who you believe is personally obnoxious, or somebody you think is categorically obnoxious. Joyce Landorf wrote a book, Irregular People. And uh, all of us have irregular people. That is, people in our lives that the chemistry is just not right. You know, and just... I mean, it's not that they're awful people or anything. It's just, this is the way it's been explained to me anyhow, that they're, and I can identify with this, they're just as a kind of missing the boat there, see? Fill in their name here. Think of your irregular person. But a certain Samaritan, a certain irregular person, think of the effect that has on you. Or somebody who is categorically obnoxious. A certain homosexual I need to apologize to you. You know what I did a few weeks ago? I used an illustration that made a certain sin seem more important than the person. I apologize for that. I used it in a a homosexuals that certain way. There is no sin that is more important than the person. Absolutely none. Sin cannot even hold a candle to the importance of a person. Therefore, I ask your forgiveness. I also ask you, when you are categorizing sins or people who sin, that you attach the word person to that in order to remember the balance of God. And the balance is way on the side of the person. Please don't say a homosexual. Say a homosexual person so that you can remember what's important to God and to us. Please don't say an alcoholic. Say an alcoholic person so that you can remember what's important to God and to us. Please don't say a thief. Say a person who has stolen so that we can remember what is important to God and to us. That being done, fill in that person here. Because that's exactly the effect it had. Somebody who was absolutely obnoxious, or struck fear in the ears of the listener, filled in that category, and they were well taken back. Who was on the journey, came upon him, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Another word here. You can see why the last sermon took so long. I just... I love this kind of preaching, but you can't afford it with three worship services. Think of your prayers and your prayer life, please. Would you categorize what percentage of that prayer life you are asking for an escape from suffering? Would you just categorize that in your own mind right now? Please, God, Help me. Please, God, save me. Please, God, help them so that I don't feel bad. Please, God, so on and so forth. Do you know that the church of Jesus Christ, the person who suffered on the cross for us, has concentrated for so long for the relief of suffering We have forgotten the prayer, please God, let me hurt, so that I can know how to help and when to help. There are two kinds of education. One is knowing how to help, learning enough to know how to help. The priest and the Levite both had that kind of education. But there's another kind of education that is absolutely critical to us that so few people have, and that is the education to want to help. You know why that comes? That comes from hurting. You know why he had compassion? How many times in his life had he been the outcast? How many times in his life had he been hurt? And so his heart was tender. You see, we need that prayer. I heard a story about a a fellow who had spent much of his adult life trying to escape from stress through drinking. And one time he woke up from one of his stupors and he could not move his right side. He managed to call for help. They rushed him to the emergency ward. They rushed him into the room with a doctor. And with all of the modern paraphernalia medicine, that doctor took out a straight pin. And that man knew what that was for. And as he came to poke that man's right side with a pin, the man prayed, Oh God, let me hurt. Why? Because it was by his pain, he knew that he was alive. Sometimes the only way this church will ever learn that it's alive is if it hurts enough. Our Christianity will be like a bottle to us. It will be the opiate of the people, just as Karl Marx said, unless we learn to use our hurting for people. Compassion is more important than safety. If Jesus Christ taught us anything, he taught us that. Oh God, let us hurt. Because there's something that can come out of that that is more important than the hurt. And he came to him and he bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast. I don't want you to get the impression that that this person was not put out. And then he was available for help to anybody. He put him on his own beast. He could, not, he could not then ride his own beast. And brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the next day, you know, what we miss in this many times, we feel we get the image that this guy put him in bed and then went to his own room and fell asleep. The Greek for this has the inclination, on the, on the next day, it, it, the Greek really means as morning approached, which gives us the image that this man sat up all night with this fellow. He had been beaten. You know what the treatment is for concussion, to wake him up and make sure they're with you every once in a while. He sat up all night with this fellow. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Two denarii, by the way, is not very much money, which also lets us know that this man could not afford to help. He could not afford to help. You know, our image of, our image of Helping is so romantic sometimes that it's not very useful. Let me lighten you up just with a story for a minute. I heard a story about uh, two little kids sitting on a park bench. I have time for this? Who cares? (laughs) Sitting on a park bench. And a little boy and a little girl. And this is their first attempt at romance, see? And so they sit there for like two hours and nothing happens. Finally, the little girl looks over and says, Well, what are you thinking about? The little boy says, "Oh, I was just wishing I was an octopus." And the little girl said, "Really?" He said, "Yeah." Well, why? So I could hug you with all eight arms. And the little girl said, "You haven't done anything with the two you got." <laughs> yeah. Well, let me go ahead. I'll get into trouble if I go on with that, and so I don't want to do that. Okay. He gave him two denarii, and he said, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. The man was poor, but he was trustworthy. Innkeepers didn't say, hey, no problem. If you don't come back, I trust you, you know. He knew this guy. The guy was trustworthy. His credit was good. So even though he did not have the immediate resources, this man's word was solid. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? You notice what Jesus does with that question? The question started out what? Who is my neighbor? It ended up in Jesus' mouth as, who do you think proved to be a neighbor? All of a sudden, it switched from the second person To the first person. Jesus said, don't give me that smorgasbord stuff. Pick your neighbor. Who proved to be the neighbor? The man again had the right answer. Well, the one who showed mercy toward him. Jesus said, go and do likewise. And the the word do in Greek is not just a one-time action. It's a habitual action. The tense is that this will become a regular pattern of your life. Go and do and do and do and do and do likewise. Now, one finishing touch to this teaching. It's not really a sermon. Please, please, don't go out of here and say, now that's the kind of religion I like. Simple to the point. It all boils down to, if you're nice enough, then... That's what religion's all about. You've missed the point of this if if you're saying that to yourself. All religion boils down to kindness and mercy and all that kind of stuff. No. Now wait a minute. This is one of Jesus's how much more should you do sayings. You remember when Jesus used to say, well, even such and such does so and so, how much more should you do? That's what Jesus is saying here. Hey, a Samaritan showed kindness. How much more should the priest and the Levite who not only believe in the love of God but claim the love of God? How much more should they do? Many of us are attracted to a simple religion that we don't have to struggle over theological concepts. We don't want to hear about sin, about salvation. Don't give me that stuff. Just tell me a good deed I can do. A Boy Scout religion is what it is. There's nothing wrong with the Boy Scouts. But, Religion is more than being a Boy Scout. And what Jesus is saying is, there's a double standard for people. And you know in your heart, there is a double standard. We took the boys to the Reds game Friday night. Pete Rose's first game was great. Great, 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 Went in though and set behind a whole row of folks that just looked like they had come to... Forget where they were at. They started having a beer contest right away, you know. And I honestly was not offended. You know, that's folks. And you can't go around leading with your chin, getting all offended because some people have a different way of having fun than you got. I, that didn't, I didn't bother me. Okay? They were down there saying, oh, Budweiser drinkers are babies. You ought to drink Hudi Pole or whatever that is. And, you know, it's, all kind of, anyhow. They started in, so they were just glugging it down. I was, I didn't, that's, a, that's folks. And I don't get offended at that. And then they pull out the stuff and started smoking and the wind was blowing up. That's folks. You can't get bothered by that. You don't, you know, I, you just, that was, did not bother me. It honestly did not bother me. And they started making crude jokes. That bothered me just a little because I didn't want the boys to hear it because they ask questions that I don't want to answer after they hear those. <laughs> I do, but I don't want to. So I started making the crude jokes and all that kind of stuff. But that's, you know, that's people. You can't go getting bothered by folks, by by just the way they act. They act that way just because that's them. You got to love people like they are. I wasn't bothered by that. They started making comments about the officiating, and that, that's okay. But for any of you who have ever been to a Cincinnati Reds ball game, you know that on the scoreboard, they flash welcoming to groups we welcome such-and-such delegation from so-and-so. And And about the sixth inning, these folks were all three sheets to the wind, and they flashed up on that board, we welcome a delegation from so-and-so church from Tennessee. And they all said, hey, that's us! (laughs) That bothered me. See, what Christ is saying here is that there is a different standard. People expect a difference in you because you come to Mount Auburn Church. As soon as you set foot on this property to come and worship God, people put you in a different classification. Now, if people out in the community, because they are kind souls, are compassionate enough to help anybody they can, how much more important is it for us? as people who claim the love of God and claim to do as Christ says. End of talk. Let's take a few moments, and would you please be in an attitude of meditation with God and see what he has for you today. Some of you have heard about Jesus your whole life, but maybe never committed to his lordship, maybe committed to his saviorship, Appreciate you taking away my sins, Jesus, but never committed to do what he says. This might be the morning for that. If God's leading you to do that, please be obedient. Some of you have come with problems. You've been attacked this week and you are hurting. You are really laying there and hurting and you would like a kind word from somebody. Please, please call out for help. Please let us pray with you. Some of you will come with an image of somebody else who's been attacked this week. Somebody else who is hurting. Pray for those people. Have compassion for those people. And no matter how inadequate you feel, do something, something, to let them know you care. Please pray.